Hey, it's Brett Curry here, CEO of OMG Commerce. Welcome to the 100th episode of the e-commerce evolution podcast. I'm thrilled that you could be here and really thanks for sticking with us. Thanks for sticking with us for 100 episodes. We're doing something a little bit different. So this 100th episode, it's going to be kind of a, a grab bag uh, of our, our best, most popular, most asked for, most requested guests. And so to kick things off, nobody better to kick the show off than my buddy and the e-commerce legend, Mr. Ezra Firestone. He's the founder of Smart Marketer, founder of Zipify uh, apps and Zipify pages, and also CEO of Boom by Cindy Joseph. Welcome, Ezra Firestone. How's it going, dude? If you're having podcast problems, I feel bad for you, son. I got 99 episodes on my podcast plus one. <laughs> yeah. Man, episode, dropping, baby. Some, dropping some dope rhymes. You know, when I was in high school, I actually legitimately thought I could rap. You know, I went to high school in, uh, in the Bay Area of California, yep. Yep. where hip-hop culture was very prevalent. It was the hyphy movement, and uh, freestyling and rapping was like a big thing. And then I also went to high school in Hawaii. Uh, the North Shore of Oahu, Hawaii, where freestyling and rapping was not a thing. And so because I had that skill, because I was like, you know, I feel like as humans, what we do is we try to fit in, we cop, we model winning behavior, we see sure. who we think is doing well, and we try to model that. And, you know, coming of age as a 14, 15, 16, 17 year old in the, you know, hip hop culture, it's kind of like what I thought was cool. And so I was trying to do it. Anyways, you just got a little taste of my skills. Dude, that, that was beautiful. I mean, that 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 made the 100th episode <laughs> 10 times better. Thank you. I appreciate that. it. But yeah, happy to be here. Thank you. Love being on your show. Love talking e-commerce. And uh, yeah, what are, we, uh, what are we talking about today? So this show is all about predictions. So what, what are you predicting for 2020? So we can talk about either what you think is going to happen in 2020. We could also talk tips for 2020 as well. So I'm just leaving it open-ended, man, because I love hearing you talk and you've always got awesome stuff to say. So you know, what, what are listen, your predictions for 2020? My prediction on the high level is that you will stop seeing all of these big... Like, like one of the things you might notice is that you receive a whole bunch of mail now. You know, I got... I, I have a... Is this video going to be shown? It will be, yeah. Because, yeah. Okay, check this out. So you're talking, you're talking like physical. I saved mail. all of these. I saved all these over the holidays. Dude. Wonderland, moment, uh, Todd Snyder. Uh, I don't want my address on there, so I might have to cut that off. Uh, <laughs> yeah, sure Maya right. Gold, uh, dude. I mean, these are all direct to consumer venture backed companies, and I've never heard of half of these. And all of a sudden, I'm getting catalogs, mailers, I'm getting all this stuff from these. Uh, upstart, you know, venture back D 2 C companies, and you know what? You're going to see this go away. Uh, also, Amazon did it. So we, you know, we have a lot of kids, so we shop toys on Amazon. We got the Amazon toy catalog this year. Yeah, I think you're going to see lumpy mail trend continue, but I think you're going to see a lot. I think you're going to see a lot more focus on profitability. Um, you know, a lot of these bigger e-commerce companies are. Everybody, all the money in private equity and venture capital is going into e-commerce right now. Everybody wants to be a part of, it's like the dot-com boom all over again. You're seeing valuations that are out of Insane. this world for e-commerce brands. And I think that that, I think that this time where our industry is going up like this, everybody wants to jump on board. All these company, all this money, these venture capitalists, these private equity folks are going to realize, oh, we can't just dump money into 
Instagram ads and Facebook ads and YouTube ads and catalogs at no profit. You're going to see this refocus on profitability. And one of the things that I have been super focused on in my career is profitability. And I think there is this fascination, this, this, this detrimental fascination with scale. And I cannot tell you the number of people who I know who have seven and eight and nine figure businesses who wish they could go back to the good old days where they had a million, $2 million a year business where they were making three, four, five, six, seven hundred thousand dollars $700,000 a year in profit. And it was smooth. They have less overhead. They, they were so making more see, money personally at that level oh than my, they are now. After and they had less stress, less overhead, less intensity. And so I think you're going to see at the high level of where all the money is flowing into our industry, multiples go down uh, on businesses because multiples go down on businesses that just have high revenue. You're going to see all these companies like those, all these guys sending me catalogs, which by the way, guys and gals, you should save your catalogs and see what kind of marketing they're doing. It's kind of fun. And I do it just to see, oh, what are people doing? What kind of deals are they offering? What trends do I see? But I think you're going to see a focus at the high level, and I don't know if this is what you were interested in, but you see a focus back on profitability. And you're going to see a lot of the ad markets soften, actually. I don't think that the, I think the uh, growth rate on ad cost in Facebook was 20% up this year. Uh, I'm not exactly sure of that. I'd have to look it up. But I think you're going to start to see that go down a little bit, actually, because I think that with more focus on profitability is going to be less big bets in the Facebook and Google auction. And so you're actually going to have a softer ad market in 2020 because of that. Which could be great. And there could, there could be some, some conservative nature coming out too, just because of the nature of, uh, you know, the political realm and elections and all that, that could feed into it as well. I love that point though, that you made that that a lot of private equity firms and, and other companies that have maybe Overpaid, like they put in it a was ton the of time money. to sell your business this last year and the year before. And I think 2020 is probably not the time. I mean, we may may still see a little bit of it, but I think it's going to start to like these val- these crazy valuations that are insane. You're going to start to see less and less and less of those, you know. And so, what you can do as a merchant, as an e-commerce business owner, is really be focused on that profitability number. Don't overspend on customer acquisition just to get your top line revenue up. Don't, uh, you know, like really keep a focus. You know, have your books done at the tenth of each month, so you can really look at what you spent the month prior versus what you spent this month versus, versus this month last year, and really be paying attention to that financial side of your business because. What sinks most brands is not actually bad product or bad marketing. It's mismanagement of finances. So I think a refocus on profitability and not this focus on growth and scale um, is a trend we're going to see across the board in our industry. I also think that um, that short form video content is going to continue to rise. Like my, one of my best uh, ad units on the Facebook side is Instagram story carousel ads, which are three, five to 15 second um, pieces of content uh, one after another. Those are working unbelievably well. And I think that kind of content is going to continue to work as attention spans get shorter, as consumption times get shorter and more often throughout the day, as Facebook opens up more and more of these short form kind of mid-roll video ad placements. I also think that you're going to see this trend towards uh, mobile optimized video ads on YouTube, which is actually, you know, you, you, Brett at OMG run all my YouTube ads for me. Thank you so much. You do an incredible job. And I'm actually about to have a meeting with, uh, your guy, Bill and Greg, your, your guys who are my kind of account managers about my January, February budgeting. And we're going to increase our budgets. And one of the things that we are delivering to them are these, uh, 
I want to say four by five. They yeah, are four uh, by five. Can they can be sixteen by nine? Typically four by five. They basically take over the mobile phone yes. when you're in vertical mode. Yeah. Yes, which is not something that a lot of YouTube advertisers nope. were doing in 2019. I think we're going to see a lot more of that on the YouTube side in 2020. I also feel uh, like brand search and like sort of a refocus on on not search engine optimization from an SEO perspective but a refocus on what I would call like reputation management, which is e-commerce companies focusing on query-based traffic that is related to their brand. Like you and I focus on story-based, direct-to-consumer, video ad-driven brands. And I think those types of brands are going to put a lot more focus this year on Amazon, Google search, Google shopping, comparison shopping engines, Bing, Yahoo, like really making sure that they show up for all the branded queries, all the search queries that are related to the brand, not necessarily traditional search marketing where you're doing a whole bunch of queries that you're trying to rank for, but more of a focus on what I label reputation management, where anything that's related to your brand or products, you are doing everything you can to take up all the spaces. Because you know, if you follow, one of my favorite follows on Twitter is the, I think he's the CEO of, of, of Basecamp, is DHH. And he is constantly complaining about Google being essentially a um, uh, essentially holding brands hostage for their own brand name. Mm, like put it. your yep. brand name in and there's six competitors who are bidding on you and you can't even find an organic search result for your own name. So you are essentially forced, forced to, to pay. pay for that. Yeah. Which is, you know, you know, we spend a lot of money on that. But, yeah. Um, yeah. but I think that there's going to be a bit more of a, a focus on the search side of things from traditional traditionally uh, video ads slash contextual advertisers are going to kind of refocus on that search when they start to see how profitable it is to really buy ads and take up as much real estate as you can for your brand names. Love it. Man, Ezra Firestone bringing the thunder. So let's just recap real quick. So focus on profitability. I, I, I love that trend. We've done that from the beginning days of OMG. I know you guys have. I think it's very valuable. Short form video content, specifically for Facebook and Instagram. We don't want to get into it, but on, on the YouTube side, I'm still seeing slightly longer form doing better for conversions. Oh, well, YouTube's always going to be longer form, right? Because yeah, that's yeah. kind of the yeah. nature of the platform. Uh, totally agree on those those mobile takeover videos on YouTube. Oh, love them. They're doing phenomenally well. Got to look at that. Uh, and then yeah, yeah. kind of a return to query-based traffic. Query-based traffic. Yeah, the omni- I don't think it's ever going to die or not anytime soon. The omni-channel approach, right? Where it's yeah. like present everywhere you can be. Search video, short form, long form, the occasional postcard to people who've bought from you in the past, not just mass postcarding like these people are wasting money are doing. Uh, Television, if you can, radio, if you can, like essentially we're in this this world of, and I've got a speaker at my Blue Ribbon Mastermind, this guy called Josh Snow. Uh, he does the, yeah. the teeth whitening. Yep. He's a really great example of an omni-channel approach. He's on, he's got influencers. He's got social. He's got uh, Hallmark and HSN and QBC. He's got television ads. He's got retail. And he's really uh, an example of a bootstrapped brand who's taking that omni-channel approach, but doing it from the perspective of trying to stay profitable. So small bets across all those different platforms. Love it. Ezra Firestone, ladies and gentlemen. Ezra, if people want to say, man, I need more Ezra in my life. Where can they <laughs> connect with you? Where can they find you? Uh, I think my favorite place to hang out with folks right now is Instagram, instagram.com forward slash Ezra Firestone or at Ezra Firestone on Instagram. And then also my blog is smartmarketer.com. 
And our tagline is serve the world unselfishly and profit. And we believe that, you know, that is a description that you, when you are in in the role of service, when you are serving, that is how you profit on every level, not just monetarily. And so that's what we're up to. Thank you for having me on the show. Um, Hope the hundredth episode continues to go awesomely. Awesome. Ezra, thanks brother. That was fantastic. And my next guest is the world famous Michael Stelzner. CEO of Social Media Examiner and one of my favorite events of the year, Social Media Marketing World. I'm going to be there in 2020. You should be too. We'd love to hang out. Uh, With that, Michael, man, thanks for taking the time and and thanks for being on this 100th episode. I am honored to be back. Congratulations on 100. Yeah, thanks. And, uh, you know, your episode was one of the most popular, one of the most commented on. So I wanted you back for this this special occasion. And uh, what's, what's going to be interesting, let's talk about some predictions for 2020. And we were talking a little bit before yeah. we hit record. You got some, you got some good ones, man. So let's, let's yeah. dive in. So, um, the first one is um, really the need to embrace video. If you think about what's happening right now with consumers in the world, we are in the heyday of online television. Let's be honest. We've got... Disney just released Disney Plus, Apple just released their Apple thing. And then you've got Netflix and Hulu and, you know, all these other providers, Amazon. The world has shifted to entertaining long-form video. Couple that with the rollout of 5G in America and ultimately worldwide. And couple that with the future of autonomous vehicles. And you can start connecting the dots. We are moving towards an era of video streamed entertainment on your device and anybody who doesn't see it isn't looking up. And that represents a huge opportunity for businesses and for marketers. I love it. And, and I think it's very clear that, that whether you're an agency or an e-commerce company or service provider of some sort, if you have the ability to make good video content, it gives you a huge advantage. And that advantage is only going to become more and more important. And I, I 100% agree with you. Video, if yeah. you haven't already embraced it, yet to now. And I'll tell you what we're doing, just so others can get some um, motivation here. Pretty great. Um, YouTube is the obvious channel. You've got a billion people watching it every single day. Average session duration, I think, is almost a half an hour. And what we do is we've invested heavily in creating the kind of articles we create on our website, except we create video tutorials. And what we do is we literally fly people into our studio and we create these video tutorials anywhere from five to 20 minutes long. And we release them two to three times a week. And this is content that is for the people who learn by watching. Surprise. There are people that learn by reading. There are people that learn by listening. Shout out to all you podcast listeners. Yep. Yep. That's me. That's me. And there are people that learn by watching. And you're tapping into a new audience here, right? That you might not have. And if you can get in now, and it's not too late, because as the world begins to understand that video is like the predominant medium of entertaining and learning, you have huge opportunities down the road. You won't necessarily have to pay Google or anyone else to be in front of that audience. And the same thing applies to any platform, whether you publish it on your own private Vimeo channel and email people, whether you do it in Instagram stories, it really doesn't matter. The consumption patterns and behaviors are off the charts and you need to be creating video content organically. I, I love it. And, and one kind of final thing on this for me anyway, is that uh, Google is working on, you know, the uh, transcribing videos on YouTube, but also 
including that more in search results where not only are they are they populating YouTube videos in search results, would, would they be doing that for a long time, but answering your specific query, like queuing up to the place in the video that answers your query in the search results. Really exciting stuff. Yes. And videos huge on all platforms, Instagram, Facebook, all that. So yeah, it's absolutely huge. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. So next the, prediction. Yeah. This next prediction is a really big prediction. We as marketers living in a social era have felt the pressure of rising ad costs and declining reach organically. And that pressure is across every single social platform, period, no matter what, full stop, end of story. So the question is, what can we do to build an audience that does not uh, make us at the mercy of an algorithm? Because the moment that algorithm sniffs out the fact that you're marketing something is the second they're going to say, put money behind it. (laughs) And the second you put money behind it and it's not engaging, it's not going to perform as well. And it's just this horrible spiral. And you have to go to agencies like yours and use them, right? But we want to be free from algorithms. So the way to be free from algorithms is to, guess what? Go back to the basics. I'm here to tell you right now that creating audio content in the form of podcasting is a huge trend. Creating video content that we just talked about that is not ad video, but actually organic video. And also creating written content, possibly distributed by email, because still email is one of the most powerful platforms out there. These are platforms where you can have a little more control and a little more ownership so that you are the media entity and you're not paying the media entity known as Facebook or the media entity known as Alphabet. I love it. This is such a powerful thing, you know, going back to the basics. I think there's a period in time when a lot of people really, they caught fire with, with Facebook ads and Facebook ads were working and they were scaling. And it's like, well, forget everything else. I'm, I'm, I'm not picking on Facebook. This can happen true, in other... But it is true. Well. They built but, their house on rented land, right? Exactly. And it's like, but you forgot about blogging and podcasting. Oh my goodness. And that's what we're doing right now. But I'm, I love to consume podcasts. And that's another thing too, uh, podcast showing up in search results and like specific things in podcast showing up in search True. results. It is. So much benefit there. So if you can look at, and I think I know you talk about this a lot, Michael, multi-purposing content, right? So yes. write, write a blog, then do a podcast on it, then make a YouTube video. Like getting back to the basics of content, it's so, so important. Uh, love and and I want to just say something. Yeah. It costs money and it takes time. But here's the thing. You're already spending money when you're advertising. And the reality is that if you can also create organic content and you have the opportunity for it to create a long impact, right? So it's got a long tail if you do it right. People could go back into your podcast catalog from years and you know that happens for both of us, right? Yes, absolutely. They go all the way back to the beginning and they binge download everything. Same thing happens with your blog. Same thing happens with YouTube and these other kinds of channels. So you got to be thinking big picture. You got to be thinking long-term not just short term, because as you know, with an ad, I mean, that's gone. And they're, they're going tomorrow. You got it. Yeah. And it's so interesting. I know you experience this a lot, Michael, but I have people that approach me that say, man, I feel like I know you. Like I've been listening to your podcast. I feel, I feel like we're buddies, you know, and like yes. I've never met this person. Yeah. Uh, but you could, the same thing can happen with a blog or with, with YouTube video or whatever. So exactly. content. Michael yeah. Stelsner, bringing the goods. Man, this is, this is awesome. Michael, really appreciate you coming on. CEO, founder of Social Media Examiner and Social Media Marketing World. Awesome, man. Really appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. Hey, one more thing. Yes, please. If you got time to listen to another podcast, 
throw the social media marketing podcast, which is my podcast, into your uh, listening dial. Without a doubt. I'm going to link to it in the show notes. It's one of my favorites. I've been a guest a couple of times. You know how to rock an amazing podcast. You're one of the you're one of the OGs for uh, podcasting in our seven industry, years, Michael. Man, it's been more than seven years. Dang. Okay. Yeah. So you got to check it out. It's, it's awesome. It's an awesome podcast. So thank you, man. All right. Thanks, Michael. And my next guest, I am super excited to welcome Molly Pittman. What's up, Molly? How are you? I'm doing great, Brett. How are you doing? Happy 100th episode. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, so happy for you. Thanks for coming on. We just did a full episode not long ago. Now doing this episode, you're a rock star. You're world famous. You're traveling the world. You're living on the other side of the world. Um, Yes. All kinds of cool stuff going on with with Ms. Molly Pittman. And so I would love to hear, and the audience would love to hear, what are your predictions for the new year? What do you see on the Facebook platform? Yeah. So you know what's fun? Because Facebook is a few years behind Google, Google is usually a good indicator of what's going to come. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, And this is a topic uh, that I actually heard Mike Rhodes and I've heard Mike Rhodes and you chat, chat a lot about over the last few years which is machine learning. And the fact that I believe Mike said 70% of the humans in this world that are currently working on machine learning as their job are employed by Facebook and Google. Did you know that? that? Yeah, I I knew it was... Largely those two, and I think largely Google. I think Google may own, you know, uh, employ yeah. the lion's share, but I'm not yeah. 100% and, certain. And Facebook's, yeah. you know, they're, of course, following behind Google here. But what's interesting about that is that it, it makes sense because those platforms have a lot of money and they're able to do this. But they also realize that the better the machine learning, the better their machine is, which is, you know, the algorithm, whatever you want to call it, the better that advertisers are going to get results and therefore the more money they're going to spend and it's going to grow their company. So it does make sense that, um, you know, they employ the lion's share of people working in this industry. Immediate payoff for them. Yeah. Oh, totally. And this is becoming so important on Facebook right now. And where you are seeing this mostly is with CBO, campaign budget optimization. I think this is something we chatted about when we did the the full show. We did a little bit. Yeah, we sure did. Yeah, we did. And, you know, CBO is the hot topic with Facebook advertising right now. It was the thing that rolled out this year that people kind of freaked out about. It was such a change. Um, and it's something that Facebook's saying in April, all campaigns will be forced to CBO. You wow. won't have another option. Now, I don't know if they'll go through with this. It was supposed to be, you know, this was supposed to be in September. Now they've moved it out to April. Yep. You saw this happen with Messenger when, you know, they kept pushing the date of when they were changing terms of service. And a lot of that was because, you know, I was working with Minichat and we were behind the scenes saying, hey, Facebook, business advertisers aren't ready for this. Don't do this. So they're listening to this. And so CBO is basically more advanced machine learning, right? It is giving Facebook the ability to optimize your entire campaign because you're setting Mm -hmm. the budget and the optimization at the campaign level. So it's saying based off of all of these ads and all of these ad sets in different audiences, here is my objective, here's my budget, have at it, Facebook. (laughs) And that has been the case, you know, that's, that's how Google works, right? Or that's, you know, uh, but this is newer for Facebook and we're used to having more control, 
And so this is going to become even more important as we move into the next year, understanding and trying to trust machine learning. And when it comes to CDO, the biggest thing is you have to understand when and how to use it. So the biggest mistake I see with CBO right now is that people will take a campaign where they had budget and optimization set at the ad set level, they'll duplicate it, change it to CBO, run it side by side, and they're like, ah, this doesn't work, right? And the reason that it doesn't work is that um, it, it, the, the introduction of CBO and when you use CBO, it really changes how you need to structure your campaigns. So you need less ad sets with much bigger audiences. You need a smaller number of ads. And really, you should only be using CBO when you're wanting to scale. Because CBO is all about amplification, getting you a higher volume of results for a cheaper price. But if you have a bunch of ads that are untested, an offer that's untested, and you immediately throw that into CBO you could be amplifying crap <laughs> because yeah, yeah. you don't know what's working. And this is where Facebook has um, kind of made a mistake. They're like, yeah, use CBO for every type of campaign and we're even going to force you. Um, that is where the issues have come up here where people think they should be using CBO just like they used ABO. So I do have a little easy button. And ABO is ad set budget optimization, budget. right? For those that don't know. Okay. Exactly. And um, I have a, a, a little easy button, Brett, for a, Ooh, a quick tip like that. for you button. guys. Um, if they do force us all to CBO in the new year, first off, from Facebook's point of view, they think about their split testing feature and their dynamic creative feature as ways for people to test before they're ready to build that scale campaign and use CBO. But they haven't quite realized that those features don't work great. So, you know, in Facebook's minds, those, that's how they're going to overcome this problem that we're chatting about. How do you still test when we're all forced to CBO? But I have an easy button. So if you still want to test and essentially have that control like you do at ABO, all you need to do is set a campaign up every time you would have set um, an ad yeah, setup yeah. on the old model, ba right? Basically treat the campaign like it's an ad set or it's, exactly. a single, it's a single ad set campaign or something like that. Yeah, Exactly. It's so simple and it will cause us to have more campaigns, a higher volume of campaigns, which really isn't a problem. Um, but it's a quick little fix, Brett, for if you're in a pinch and you're really having trouble, especially when you're testing new creative and offers and you're not ready to use CBO because you don't want to yeah, amplify yeah. what you're doing because you don't know what you're doing. Right. The quick fix is just to turn all of those ad sets into their own standalone campaigns. So nice. I think for me, this year is about machine learning. Looking at it as a positive thing, right? Yep. Like CPO, machine learning, all of this is supposed to be good for us. And allow, mm. it allows us to focus on the things that matter. Offer, yep. copy, yep. creative, all of the basic marketing stuff. Um, but you have to know how to use it. Right. And yeah. that's really the biggest mistake that I'm making or that I'm making that I'm seeing. <laughs> uh, I totally, totally heard what you I meant on that. That's the, that's the mistake you're helping people avoid. Got it. And I love it. And, and we, you know, on the Google side and, and you're right, as far as machine learning goes, Google is ahead of everybody else. And really in terms of digital marketing, they've been, they've been in the game longer. You know, we view our job as how do we inform the algorithm how do we structure something so that we see clearly, so the algorithm sees clearly, so we can achieve that scale? And uh, I love that setup. I was actually, I was kind of thinking that in the back of my mind, but I don't know Facebook very well. So, but I love that. It totally makes sense. So if you force to go CBO, treat your campaigns like an ad set, 
uh, single ad set campaign type thing. And now you're in business. Now it's essentially the way it was and you have your control, but you can kind of use the the algorithm as well. So uh, fantastic. How can people find out more about Molly Pittman and get a daily dose of Molly or whatever? I don't know. There's probably, uh, maybe, not, maybe not daily. Maybe that's yeah. not possible. But. No, great question. I'm actually about to launch a new class of Train My Traffic Person. So you can go to trainmytrafficperson.com, hop on the wait list. You can also follow me on Instagram at Molly Pittman Digital. That's where I'm mostly active sharing day-to-day stuff. Um, also have a Facebook page under Molly Pittman. So yep, yep. yeah. Awesome. Molly, thank you so much. Fun as always. And we'll chat soon. Thanks, guys. My next guest is the famous Ralph Burns. One one cannot talk about Facebook for e-commerce without the name Ralph Burns coming up and or Tier 11. Had the privilege, the pleasure of working with Ralph and company on a number of clients. And uh, they're the real deal. And they're a ton of fun to work with. Extremely smart. And so I'm excited to have Ralph back on the podcast. 100th episode. What's Woo-hoo. up, Ralph? And thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, great to have him. And, uh, <laughs> you know, this has been a uh, it's been a wild ride, me and you together with joint customers and uh, yeah. all this. But I appreciate you having me on for the 100th episode, man. Absolutely. Great to uh, bring some uh, some tips here for what's going on the coming year. So, Yep, tips, predictions. Going to talk about 2020. And a uh, quick shout out, our... The podcast you and I did together on your podcast, Perpetual Traffic, phenomenal podcast. We talked about the interweavings of YouTube and Facebook. Um, uh, you know, I don't want to toot our own horn, but it was pretty good, pretty legendary. Uh, Got to go check out that podcast. Yeah, like we should do more of those, me and you. We should do more of those. Yeah. Yeah, we share customers it. and it's like force multipliers between the two big platforms on the interwebs these days. I mean... <laughs> It comes to yeah. e-commerce, yeah, it's a good synergy between ourselves and OMG. So really grateful for that. It's a fact, and and what's interesting is um, you know how how things are are just getting more challenging all the time, right? Which is which I think you got to embrace that and have fun with it, and it, and it can actually give you an edge with the right perspective and the right approach. But let's talk about your predictions for 2020, Ralph, because things aren't mm-hmm. getting smoother or easier. I don't believe. They're not. I'd love to come on here and say that uh, Facebook is a set it and forget it platform and it's easy for everybody to do what <laughs> we do. But yeah, just flip the switch, you know, wave the magic wand, throw out the pixie dust and uh, everything works out well. It's not that way. And I, you know, it sort of seems self-serving <laughs> to me by saying this, but it is true. And uh, we were just joking before we hit record was that we, I just got off a customer call uh, who's one of our biggest customers. And they said, hey, we want to double our return on ad spend and double our ad spend in uh, 2020 in the teeth of a presidential election and right. increasing right. policy and all the other things that we're going to be talking about here in today's show. But uh, yeah, it's not getting any easier. There is a way out, but you kind of have to do it Facebook's way, which is what we've learned as a high volume Facebook and Instagram ad agency. Yep, you, you do have to play by their rules. and. Yes. They're not all bad rules uh, for sure, um, but it the, the game is getting tricky. So, so what is your first prediction for 2020 as it pertains to Facebook ads? 
the first prediction I would have is to keep Facebook's advertising policies page in your favorites (laughs) and consistently updated. I actually had somebody give me a nice little tip. Visualping.io actually emails you anytime there's a change made to that page. Thank you, Neil Finchbaugh, for tipping me off to that. But the point is, is that they update their policies constantly. And if you don't... If you're not tapped into what's going on, not necessarily just from experience running ads or doing what you're doing every single day on the platform, it's like you want to be proactive. You want to know how they're changing some of these policies before you start running ads. Because if you are you know, in, in error and are running something that is really strictly against a new policy, the person who pays the price is you and your business. So you need to be proactive and I think especially if you think about what's happened in 2018, 2019, we all watch the news. We all know that Facebook and Instagram advertising is front page news now, like how it affects presidential elections and all the other stuff that goes along with it, which has quite honestly been great for our business, believe it or not, because people are like, wow, you can influence a presidential election. Maybe I should get on that platform. <laughs> so, but there's a right way and a wrong way to Russians. do it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, they didn't really have that much ad spend. We spent about, you know, what they spent in a whatever on that election we spent in about six hours. But anyway, the point <laughs> is, is that uh, the, the Facebook policy and GDPR, uh, privacy, uh, you know, people's data, it's becoming more and more of an issue and Facebook's under the gun and and not necessarily from a, you know a real like they're they're breaching any sort of privacy like the privacy is like Brett Curry likes you know a page on you know basketball or ESPN or like his birth date or he's married to this you know his wife which that's I forget her name but that's Roberts. private information oh my god they're not giving away like your checking account numbers and your social security numbers and your passwords to all your sites where you, you know, keep all your confidential, really confidential information. So when people talk about confidentiality, let's keep it in perspective. But the reaction to that in 2020 is that Facebook is going to be even more stringent, even more strict when it comes to policy. And that may mean that they might take away some of our targeting that we now enjoy. They've already taken away a lot of it, which doesn't really affect us all that much. But the point is, is that I think you really have to be uh, out in front of it from a policy perspective and also keep up with what's going on in the news so that you're aware of it. Yeah, totally and, makes uh, sense. Yeah, I mean, yeah. The, spot, the spotlight is on Zuck and on the platform. Screws are being tightened. They're being held accountable for things. Some fairly, some probably not. Uh, but that just that translates to us as advertisers. We're, we're going to be put in the spotlight more and then there's going to be that trickle-down effect. So... Keep that policy page open. Favorite that thing. Be watching it. That's a great tip uh, and tied to the prediction of things are going to get tougher on the policy side. Uh, next tip or next prediction for 2020. Yeah, I mean, I would say there's um, there's going to be in, in sort of relation to that. I mean, I think there's certain things like engagement bait and exaggerated copy and landing pages with minimal content. There's a lot of things there that you have to be more and more aware of. Like, for example, we just did a... Uh, you know, a strategic account plan for a new customer who's going to be coming on this month. And they didn't have a terms of service or a privacy policy on their page. I'm like, guys, I mean, at the very least, get your webmaster to fix that right now. So basic stuff like that, in my opinion, Facebook is going to be looking at a little bit more 
you know, in 2020, alongside all the other things that we sort of talked about. So uh, engagement bait is something else that we're seeing more and more now. We actually, we have an, an ad account that's in the health and beauty space, which you know, and I know through Ezra's yep. stuff, yep. as well as through a number of customers that are in the e-commerce space. That space is being, uh, is, is, I would say, is under scrutiny. I wouldn't say under scrutiny specifically, but it is an area where we are seeing things like engagement bait that urges people to inauthentically engage with an ad, for example. If you say like or love this page, you know, you could be really like the, the end result of that could be a page ban for you. And we've seen this get tighter and tighter and tighter. Exaggerated copy is another thing. Um, you know, like all rock music fans must check this out. Like little things that we used to do, like go watch this video that we used to say in our ad copy. We can't do that anymore. We're mm. now getting sort of an advance notice now as a high volume Facebook and Instagram ad agency. You know, we're in the Facebook partner manager program. We're a marketing partner at the highest level. So we kind of get this stuff ahead of everyone else. But these are things to watch out for in 2020 relating back to policy and some of the things we discussed before. And then the last one is landing pages with minimal content. And, uh, you know, I, I think you don't really know until you get the Facebook slap, you get the ad disapproved that a lot of times they won't tell you exactly what the issue is. So look not only at your ad, but also at your landing page experience. And that's been something that's been in policy forever. But something I think that's more and more under scrutiny now, make sure you got those links on the bottom of your page. And if you're doing business inside Europe, I mean, Brett, we went through mm -hmm. like a nine-month legal process to make sure we're GDPR compliant. Wow. Because wow. we, you know, we have customers in the in the EU as well. So make sure you got all that stuff. This isn't like fun stuff, like, hey, here's a great tip, but I think safety, like if you lose your ad account or you lose your page in 2020, that can really seriously impact your business in a not so positive way. So uh, it's yes, not fun to prepare, not fun to get ready, not fun to go through the legal hoops of being GDR compliant or the California Privacy Act or whatever the case may be. But it's a lot less fun if you hit if you hit trouble and yeah. you get lawsuits, or you get banned, or you get, you know, accounts shut down for a period of time or whatever the case may be. And that's that's a uh, way more painful than the hoops you got to jump through and get set up. So, uh, just to clarify a couple things there. So, you're saying uh, direct, direct um, appeals to have someone like or love a page. Even mm -hmm. got to mm -hmm. watch out for that. Some strong call to action or exaggerated claims. Got to maybe watch that. So it's almost we're we're, we're more having to charm and earn uh, our uh, everything rather than than maybe going hardcore direct response. Uh, which some of us are used to. Yeah, yeah, it's hard because we have uh, we have a someone on staff who comes from 10, 12 years, actually more than I've been in this industry, in the direct response copywriting space. And uh, he's had a challenge with some of these new policies. Yeah. Because like, it's all about calls to action and, you know, you know, leading people to get to the next step. I mean, your headline, the goal of the headline is to read your subheadline. And then your subheadline is to read your body copy. And then the body copy is to click the button. And then the click the button is to add to cart and then add to cart to buy. So like all these things, like this sort of runs against direct response marketing practices and best practices. So looking at Facebook as more of a as a social platform more than it ever has. And this is something that we talk about all the time on perpetual traffic. And we've talked about with you when you've come on the show as well, but even more so in 2020, 
like make it a positive experience for potential customers to engage in your content in natural ways in which people interact in the real world. I mean, Facebook still is a social platform. And remember, Facebook is going to very um, aggressively guard this platform because if they lose their customer base, they lose their advertising Absolutely. and then they Absolutely. stock price goes down and all the other things that go along with it. So yep. sort of keep that in mind. Don't try and game the system. Yep. Like, yep. And no single advertiser is worth it to them. Uh, that you you are expendable in the eyes of Facebook, promise. And yeah. uh, so you got you got to play their game by their rules. Absolutely. Yeah. Ralph Burns bringing it on this quick little tidbit, little snippets about the coming year. Really good stuff, man. So uh, people got to check out your podcast. Tell us about your podcast, and then what about if someone needs Facebook expertise? How can they learn more about Tier Eleven? Yeah, for sure. The podcast is <clears throat> Perpetual Traffic. It's on iTunes. Go there and check it out. Uh, we do talk a lot about Facebook and Instagram, but in 2020, we're going to be talking more about like all types of traffic. Ooh, I love it. Diversifying the base a bit love because it. we really do see it as a big ecosystem. Obviously, our relationship with you guys is proof positive that that is the case. Yep. You know, yep. you got those two platforms going. It's a force multiplier. One plus one does not equal to it. Equals like 10 in our case. Yep. Yep. Um, so perpetual traffic there, check that out on iTunes. And if you want to check us out, go over to tier11.com. If you're interested in uh, advertising services or our new uh, done with you program called the Ads Accelerator, check us out there, uh, tier11.com, work with us and uh, happy to talk to you about how we might be able to help you the coming year. Awesome. Sounds good. Thanks, Ralph. We'll have to do it again, man. Really appreciate it. You bet, buddy. And my next guest is Russ, the legend, Henneberry. <laughs> he is the founder of The Click with two Ks. Uh, an awesome email newsletter. You got to check it out. It's one of my favorite reads. And you may know Russ from his time on stage at Traffic and Conversion Summit and his time on other podcasts, his time on this podcast. He was one of the, one of the most popular episodes of this podcast. That's why he's here. <laughs> Russ, welcome to the show, man. How you doing? Hey, always good to talk to you, Brett. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, let's dive right in. This is like a rapid fire session. So what, uh, what is one of your predictions and or tips for the coming year? And I believe you said it was related to SEO, which that's a topic I love. Yeah, and I love it too. And, um, you know, what we're seeing with Google, you know, again, with the BERT update, which was a, a newer update that we saw come out uh, later this year that um, just continues to further solidify that um, there's really nothing that can be done or less and less to be done that can sort of manipulate and trick Google's uh, algorithm. Something that I think guys like you and I saw back in like, you know, 2006 and seven when we were like, okay, like let's not fight with these MIT uh, the years of the mathematicians. Black cat, man. Right. Right. So, you know, we started to, to play the game the right way. And, um, you know, what I'm, what, what I'm really excited about talking about as I move into 2020 is this, is this, um, what I think is the most important word in SEO, which is intent. intent. Um, and it's really, yeah, really an important word in marketing in general. So, you know, if you think about it, if you own an e-commerce store and you're selling physical products, um, if we could kind of compress the customer journey, like how, how are things going to progress down into a few stages, you know, people are going to start out in that research stage, right? And so they're going to have what we would call research intent, right? So they're out there, they're on Google, 
um, they're using the search engine to research purchases, right? And they're, or, or maybe even prior to, to knowing the solution, they might be researching a problem, right? And, and this is the type of content that needs to be produced if you want to pull people in at the widest, toppest part of the funnel is these people that are just, they may not even be solution aware, um, in other words, your solution, uh, your product, uh, they're not aware that this exists that could solve their problem. And so I like to talk about an SEO. I like to talk about building pages and content um, that is optimized for that research intent, right? So if this first stage is research, adding modifiers to your keywords like information, help, tips. All right. So let, let's say... Uh, let's say, for example, you sell uh, baby uh, baby seats, right, for cars. Like yep, yep. Okay. So somebody might be I going out a there. I've of those in my day. I know you have, buddy. <laughs> Man, I, 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 actually, I was thinking about you this morning when I think about this interview. I was like, <laughs> and I told my daughter, I said, you know what he has, how many kids he has. Um, so, yeah, you've probably had a few of those. <laughs> You're a stud. So, you know what? What people what people are going to do is they're going to go out there and they're going to they might type in something that's solution aware like uh, baby car seat and then they're going to type in a modifier. Okay, and that modifier indicates the intent. So they'll type in baby car seat information, baby car seat help, baby car seat tips, baby car seat um, tutorial. That's probably not a great word for that particular product, but um, how do I install? a baby car seat, um, pictures of baby car seats. And, and so you take that root keyword, what I call the, the, the seed keyword, and you add these, these intent-based modifiers on there. That, you know, for, for e-commerce, right? If you're looking for content to produce, like REI.com does a great job of this, right? They're, gonna, they're going to have a lot of content that's like, of course, they sell mountain bikes, right? And all the equipment around it. And so they're going to create pieces that are like mountain biking equipment. And then they're going to add, you know, because a person typing that in might have what I call buy intent, right? Their intent is to buy. So they're typing in mountain biking equipment. But if they type in a modifier like checklist or uh, list or information, then they're in research intent. And you need to have different content types, usually articles, videos, podcasts, things like that, that are optimized for search for that for that keyword and so you take that research stage and then people move into that second stage which is a compare stage i love this stage this is a great place to start if you're in seo if you think about doing seo on your uh especially e-commerce sites um is that compare stage where people type in um they might type in brand names and and they'll type in verse whatever other brand yes. name. Yes. These are really good uh, article types to create or video types to create, depending on whatever you want to create. But if you had one brand of car seat and wanted to type in verse another brand and you build an article around that, that, and that person's deeper in the funnel, right? They're in compare mode, right? So they might type in something like compare X to Y, right? And the, so X is a keyword. Y is a keyword. It's a product. Um, or it might be a category of products, right? Um, they might be typing in information that's showing more buy intent at that third stage. 
where they're going to add modifiers like buy yep. baby car seat or purchase baby car seat, locate baby car seat near me, you know, baby car seat stored near me. Um, uh, and, and those kinds of modifiers that they're going to add at that buy stage. And then the last one, and I think it's the one that people forget so often, is what I call the succeed intent stage. Succeed is about we want the people that purchase our products, especially if we sell something where we want to sell something again and again, whether it's a consumable or whether it's you know a subscription or whether it's something we want to cross sell some other things. We need to maintain um, you know a happy customer. Succeed intent is about helping uh, is about creating content that is optimized for succeed-based modifiers like how to install car seat, right? So picture poor Brett. Now you have eight kids. Eight kids, man. Picture poor Brett with eight kids climbing around him and he's trying to install a new car seat and he can't figure out how to install. That's the real key. No Google search necessary. (laughs) Okay, well, picture (laughs) picture Brett's poor wife and and he's lying. I know know for sure. Yeah, I've, I've installed a number of car seats, yeah. Well, and if you're having trouble with that, you know, most of us today are going to whip out our phone, maybe right out there at the car and, and hit up YouTube. How do I install X Absolutely. brand car seat, right? That content needs to be produced, right? Um, I had a, we had a new dishwasher uh, installed or whatever. And I come home from work or whatever and in the office. And I'm like, oh, a new dishwasher. And I look at the thing and I'm like, man, this thing's really new wave. And it had all these buttons on it that I didn't know what it did. And of course, I'm not going to read the manual or whatever. I'm on, I jump on Google and I start typing in, you know, very specific keywords, keywords that are so easy. Right. They're branded, by the way, as well. They're they're, they're, they're based around brands um, that you could rank for by the end of the day today. And it's dark outside, as you can see, right? (laughs) If you created a post that's like, how do I use clean rinse mode on X? YZ dishwasher, you're going to own that keyword by tomorrow. And you're going to, and and, and these are the kinds of intent. Like if you can, you know, it's all about as we move into 2020, sit down uh, in your planning meetings and things like that and and get a whiteboard out and write research intent, compare intent, buy intent, succeed intent, and start writing out some different keywords that you could, um, create content around, and then go put your editorial team to work on producing assets that satisfy those intents. Man, I love this so much. I think it's very clear that the day of just focusing on, hey, baby car seat, infant car seat, that's what's got all the searches. You're never going to rank for that, man. Just don't even think about it. Like, Look at the intent, though, and and break it down into those stages, the, the shopping journey, the funnel whatever you want to call it, like think about where someone is, what questions they're asking. And this is cool because searches are becoming more specific because it's Absolutely. easier to do voice to text. And because Google has, you know, search suggestions has been around a while, but it's getting better and better all the time. It's, it's, our searches are much more specific than they've ever been. So yeah, don't think about these short head keywords. Think about the long tail, but think about intent. Uh, love it. Russ, Hannaberry, Russ, where can people find <laughs> out more about you and... How can they subscribe to your newsletter, which is fantastic, by the way? Yeah, if you're doing digital business, um, go to theclick.com. That's C-L-I-K-K.com. It's a free daily email newsletter. I don't make any offers in it. I'm selling ads inside of it. So it's pure content. um, And um, it's 
free, it's informative, and it's mildly amusing. It is. It is mildly amusing. It's and you're one of the best content guys I know, and I'm not just saying that you genuinely are. And the and the email is entertaining. It's extremely good. It's got links to lots of other things. If you want to be in the know, and you all should, you got to check out the click. So, Russ, man, thanks for coming on. Really appreciate it. All right, you're in the click. Yeah, buddy. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> I'll talk to you next time. And my next guest is the world famous Andrew Udarian, who I've got to say, uh, Andrew, I don't know if I ever told you this. Um, you inspired me to podcast. Um, I kind of had an inkling anyway, but I heard your e-commerce fuel podcast. I thought, man, it's good stuff. You heard it and you're like, man, somebody has got to be able to do this better than this guy. I am going to start a podcast. <laughs> if people listen to him, they've got to be able to listen to me. Not, not at all. It was like, man, I could, I could do something similar and I can meet some awesome people like Andrew has. And so... Uh, anyway, uh, we we become friends now over the last what three years maybe I guess we yeah were, three four five we years. met we met back in the day yeah maybe it's like four because it was during the Llama Commerce days oh, that's right I shout thought you worked to, for uh, Llama Commerce yeah yeah exactly classy <laughs> Llama yeah shout out for to classy uh, Llama to excuse me my buddy Kurt Theobald we did some pretty silly things with the Llama Commerce show go check it. it's still on YouTube if you want to go back and there's a puppet episode that's infamous that you probably don't want to watch. Uh, Kurt, I can't believe you did that. Uh, but anyway, that's how you and I met Andrews back in the day. And uh, just always love a chance to, to catch up with you and, and see what you're up to. Uh, e-commerce fuel, I think is the OG for e-commerce podcast. So, so kudos to you for that. And uh, on our last episode, which if you, if those listening have not checked out this episode, I think it was episode 81 or something like that put in the show notes, but it was the state of the merchant. And that's a study you do every year where you interview growing e-commerce companies and just figure out, hey, what's going on? Like, What platforms are people using? Where are people advertising? How much are you selling on Amazon? Like all this really valuable data, but it's, it's coming from small, medium-sized growing e-commerce companies. It's fantastic. It's like the best, of the best research. So go back and listen to that if you haven't listened to that. Uh, but today we're going to talk about your predictions and you're a good guy to ask about predictions because you talk to so many people. You have the e-commerce fuel forum for seven and eight figure store owners. And so you're always chatting with them and, and learning what's going on. So um, first of all, thank you for coming on and agreeing to do this. And let's talk, let's talk predictions, man. Let's dive right into it. What, what's, what's your first prediction for 2020? Yeah, thanks for having me back. And uh, yeah, it's always a roll of the dice when you have me on the show. So uh, for the predictions, I got to say, I was looking at my predictions from last year. So for 2019, and before you talked me up too much here, uh, my track record was not sterling. I'll just put that out there. Uh, always painful to look at those. So uh, sometimes it's more fun to talk about them than, than, uh, than actually you know bet on them. But anyway, that being said, I think first prediction is I think in that state of the merchant survey you mentioned, one of the things we ask is, do you sell on Amazon? Mm-hmm. And last year, 55% of merchants with average size of two or three million, uh, 55% of them sold on Amazon, either a lot or a little, but they sold on Amazon. Mm-hmm. And that percentage has really started to decelerate over the last year. Uh, and I think for the first year, it's kind of, kind of a, I don't know, slightly bold prediction, but I think there's a very good chance for this next year, for the first time ever, that we see the percentage of seven-figure sellers that sell on Amazon decrease. Probably ever so slightly, just a little bit of a weakening, mm-hmm. but go down for the first time ever, just because I think a lot of people are starting to look at the full cost of selling on Amazon from a finding counterfeit issue, from a margin issue, from a not building a defensible business issue, from a, a sales tax issue, all these different you know, all these different issues and thinking like, yeah, I mean, 
do I really, is that really where I want to, you know, continue to, to invest in the business? So we'll see. That's, that's prediction. But uh, interesting. So, so I, I love this. I want to dive into this. I will say though, it's a little bit, it's a little bit fishy, Andrew. It's a little bit fishy. You're making a prediction that will be decided by your own research and by your own study. <laughs> you could easily manipulate the data. And just, well, why, why do you think I made that prediction? Of course, I mean, why would I you're predict like, on something I like, can't click the books on? You're like last year, I didn't get these predictions right. I got to predict something. I got some control on. Uh, no, that, that's that's fantastic. Um, it's so interesting, you know, and, and, and Nike kind of made this decision. Mm-hmm. What was it a month or so ago that, hey, they're yeah. after a couple years of uh, experiment, you know, they used to not be on Amazon, but, but other people were selling Nike stuff on Amazon. There was kind of speculation of, hey, they probably entered into an agreement with Amazon so that Amazon would be more diligent in getting, you know, counterfeiters off the platform and things like that. And Amazon just, I mean, uh, Nike just sold a select assortment on on Amazon, uh, but now they're they're pulling off. They're pulling off totally, um, and I think it's a good move for them because their brand is so strong. That I don't think they need Amazon. So it's interesting. So you're saying of these sellers that are in the kind of two and three million dollar a year volume, we'll see fewer of them selling on Amazon this year than last year for for the first time ever because that 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 percentage has been growing every year for you know uh, the last several years. So for the first time ever, that percentage is going to go down. I think so. I think whatever. Yeah. yeah, I believe so. We'll see. Yeah, yeah. And and so, what are what are some of the? Well, the I know I know so it? because I'm doing the research. So <laughs> yeah, I'm, just, I'm just giving you a preview. Uh, the research uh, I'm going to release. <laughs> I'll make sure of it. I will make sure that this happens. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Um, I think this is a really interesting topic, and you know, I I love Amazon for a lot of reasons. Uh, as a as a consumer, it's fantastic. It is now, you know, the largest search engine for physical products. And I'm, an, I'm a search engine guy at heart, like my marketing mm-hmm. background. So we do a lot with Amazon. But I, I think I've got a pretty objective opinion here. Uh, Amazon's not great for all sellers. And, and in some ways, not even like good. Not even, I mean, it's bad for sellers, right? So um, what, is, what are some of the thoughts? Like what, what kind of fueled this? Or the conversations you're having? What's kind of behind this prediction? I think part of it is the two different things. Uh, from the data, the last two years, I saw a big deceleration. I think the mm-hmm. number of sellers there was only like a one percent increase this last year of additional. Like this year was fifty five percent of sellers. The year before two thousand eighteen, it was like fifty four percent of sellers, something like that. So you're seeing a plateauing of the adoption curve already. Mm-hmm. So that plays into it a lot, I think, because you can see that slowing down. Uh, but then anecdotally, just hearing from a lot of sellers. I mean, I, I looked at. Uh, in our in our private community, you can go in and sort by like different categories. So I went to the Amazon category and hit top discussions over the past you know six months or so, uh, and almost all of them on Amazon were why I left Amazon or how leaving wow. Amazon was a good thing wow. or how do I deal with all these counterfeits on Amazon. I've seen a lot of like a lot of anecdotal information, and there's granted there's still like there's still definitely people that are making a killing and doing well on Amazon, uh, and there's definitely people for whom it makes sense to sell on the mm-hmm. platform. Sure. But I also think there is an exponentially, there's exponentially more you need to consider from kind of all the things I touched on, but uh, Amazon selling your, you know, selling your stuff. Like there, would you ever go out and show your top 10 selling products, your SKUs uh, to your biggest competitor? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. no, no one would ever do that in the dot-com world. But Amazon A, sees that and B, has a very long track record of using that data to launch and inform their own private label strategies, right? Uh, they did that with Allbirds this last couple of weeks. 
Um, so that's a big issue. Counterfeits, the number of people that can sell into the platform. I know people, their entire business has been ruined because people have hijacked, they haven't hijacked their listings, but they've just, you know, they created counterfeits, flooded the, you know, the FBA inventory system with commingled counterfeits and pretty much ruined the reputation for somebody's product because all of the counterfeits were surprised, really crappy and broken and, and just, you know, down the company. Um, so yeah, I mean, that, the margin issue, the, the yeah, you, you don't issue. own the customer relationship, like you, you, the brand building is just it's it is different. Yeah, uh, I, I, that's I like it, and I think this could happen. And you know, uh, I love watching the e-commerce field evolve, and we'll see what happens. But I, I could totally see this this coming true. It's it's very possible. I like I like the bold prediction, buddy. Good stuff. We'll, we'll see. Right. We'll see. My uh, special make bold <laughs> predictions that do not come to fruition. So yeah, it was no uh, fun if it's uh, not a bold. Uh, my prediction is the e-commerce will grow. Okay. Yeah. That's exactly. The same point. Exactly. So uh, awesome. What's your next prediction? Uh, next prediction, oh, we'll do a non-Amazon one here. I think SMS, and, and this is probably a little less bold, but I think SMS is going to gain traction as the new darling marketing method for, uh, you know, for the e-commerce world. And SaaS platforms are going to be tripping all over themselves and lots of new emerging ones as well to fight for market share. So uh, you think about Messenger when it came out, Facebook Messenger, it was... Uh, you know, but year maybe year eighteen months ago ish was was super hot and, and and exciting for people and with good reason amazing open rates amazing click through rates Facebook kind of put the kibosh on that a little bit in terms of how you could promote with that and and kind of a twenty four hour window et cetera et cetera and they also own it you look at SMS in a world of an incredibly crowded inbox and uh, I don't know that is a more a channel that is similar to Messenger, but you control it completely. And so, I don't know, I think that's going to be a big channel for, a big emerging channel for brands this next year. Yeah, I think there's some some potential pitfalls with that. The The texting space is fairly intimate. When I get yes. a text, I check it almost immediately because it's usually friends, family, someone I know, mm-hmm. something that's urgent. If I start to get too many marketing messages, that can be problematic. But I would agree with you. And, I, and we had a a guest, uh, uh, Ari, uh, on the, the podcast, knows Ezra, who talked about uh, SMS and how they've had success there. I would agree with you. I think it is going to grow. I think it is going to grow. I think it is going to be a valuable channel. But yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I think there's going to be some, some potential pitfalls uh, there as well. But there is with every channel, right? There is with with email as well. So I think it will be. There'll be a lot of money made. I think there will be a lot of people alienated as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. And, right. and brands, the brands yeah. that dig themselves into a hole. So double-edged sword for sure. Yeah. Um, and I think this is going to be kind of where, you know, people experiment and figure out. And there's maybe going to be some new playbooks that come out on, on here's how you handle SMS marketing. But I think that will be a very interesting place to watch. I like that prediction as well. All right. I think we got time. We, we, do, we, have, we do have time for one more. For you, Andrew, we have time for as many as you want. Uh, but let, let's do at least one more here. Oh, great. I got a list of 15 here. Well, wonderful. <laughs> We're going to have to wrap this up. Keep going. All right. <laughs> um, so last one I'd say is, I so recently I bought something. I rarely return stuff off Amazon, but once I got something and, and needed to return it, and I was shocked in that I didn't actually have to package it back up. All I did was I had to I requested the return, and the Amazon pretty much said, hey, uh, take this barcode into the UPS store, have them scan it, and hand them the product without having to package it, and they'll just take mm-hmm. care of packaging it, shipping it, and tape. And I think it was really cool. Uh, and I think we're going to see that come to Amazon delivery vehicles as well. So like, you know, the vans, the contractors that deliver for Amazon with Amazon on the side, I think within the next, by the end of 2020, you'll be able to do something very similar 
uh, with those trucks. Whereas you want to return something, you just initiate the return on Amazon. They give you a code to scan. Your driver either scans or already or already knows what the return is because they know your address. You hand them the product in the box, and that's it. You're done because Amazon, if anything, does a pretty phenomenal job of making the buying experience as seamless as possible and return. Yeah. Experience. And, and what's so interesting about Amazon and, and, you know, Amazon is so smart for a lot of reasons, starts with, with Jeff Bezos, but they understand the levers that increase consumption and they understand connected, you know, the things that prevent consumption. And, you know, one of those is delivery times, right? And, and so they, they have, have proven, you know, through, through studies and then through implementation that if you shorten that window of delivery, consumption goes up. And so, you know, Amazon reported a pretty big loss when they went to one day prime, but they also saw volume increase and they saw units accelerate the growth rate, which is already crazy. That growth rate accelerated when they went to one day prime because there's, there's now this whole series of things you'll buy if you know you only have to wait one day, whereas before you may have gone to the store to buy those. Uh, I think the other thing, though, that gets in the way is returns. And I, I, I mean, you've probably done this before, Andrew. I certainly have because I hate the process of going through returns. It's a pain. It's such a pain. I bought a few things. Like I bought this uh, uh, antenna because we thought we were going to go, you know, uh, without satellite, which we never did. But I bought, bought this antenna off Amazon. I'm like, oh, I don't want to return. Like, oh, I'll return it later. And then eventually, I, but now it just sits in the closet. I think I can end up giving it to somebody. But um, what that does, though, is that plants a seed in my mind of, now, the next time I go buy something, if I'm not certain, I might not buy it because the return is going to be a pain. Now, Amazon eliminates that. Now, that, that takes away my hesitation to purchase, increases consumption. It's a brilliant move. And, uh, you know, Google, uh, Amazon's all about the last mile and improvement. And, and so this, this will be interesting to see uh, for sure. Now, you're, um, you're in Tucson, Right. Uh, do you see? Do you have Amazon trucks deliver where you live, or do we, you still get mostly UPS and stuff? We do. Yeah, and it was interesting. I recently moved from Bozeman to Tucson, so seeing the the, the how much more, how, how quickly you can get Amazon in an urban area, uh, and and the the number of supply trucks, and even man, even just the number of like semis on the road over the last year. I don't know if you've noticed this driving on interstates. Mm-hmm. I always Amazon count prime trucks. Everywhere. Everywhere. They are by far the number one most common truck I see on the road. And I count because I'm a weird, just, you know, OCD person, but crazy. (laughs) Yeah. uh, It's interesting. So I live in Springfield, Missouri. Um, I swear like in in normal parts of the year, we get multiple Amazon deliveries a week. I would almost argue one a day. You know, as we're recording this, it's like pre-holiday. It's insane, man. There are Amazon boxes piling up all over our house. Um, but no, we where we live, no Amazon delivery yet. It's still UPS and, really? and hmm. post office and stuff. But I know that's in, I know in urban areas, yeah, the Amazon, you know, Amazon's trying to take over that last mile. And I think it's partially because of the capacity of other carriers, but also I think it's one of those things going back to the hey, when they shifted to one day prime, they had they experienced a loss. I think they knew they were gonna experience that, but they're gonna figure it out and they're gonna figure out how to make that cost effective. And large, that's going to be through their own network and stuff. So very interesting. I like that prediction as a consumer. I would like to see that happen. I would like to see uh, returns <laughs> being made easier. But as a merchant now, again, you know, like this makes it harder for all of us to keep up. It Amazon. does, but, but we all love to hate Amazon. And there's some legitimate reasons for hating Amazon. But you cannot... Uh, you can't hate them for what they have done 
to the consumer experience. I think it's I think it's reasonable form to say, hey, Amazon, I hate you for ripping off my product. That's poor form mm-hmm. uh, on Amazon's part. I think it's poor form on our part as merchants to say, oh man, Amazon's totally up in the game. Like they're doing a great thing for customers. So now we got to step it up. Like that's just that's just a good competitor, right? So yeah, absolutely. Respect you know, hats off to that competitor. Yes. At least for at least at that terms of their strategy. There are other elements that I'm not in love with, but that terms they've they've done a pretty dang good impressive job uh, yeah. in terms of earning uh, their keep on the customer loyalty side. Totally agree. And and I think anytime you get to that place where you're like, well, I can no longer compete, that's a dangerous spot to be as an entrepreneur. Like that's when you may consider hanging it up because like you you've got to always find a way, find a way to be competitive in something else. Yeah, you may not be able to match the return prowess of Amazon or the delivery prowess, but there are other things you can compete on and that's what you got to focus on for sure. Totally. uh, Andrew, this has been a blast, man. Thank you for doing this. Where can people learn more about you, connect with you and tell us a little bit about the the e-commerce fuel forum. Yeah, thanks. Um, best way, if you're listening to a podcast right now, is the e-commerce fuel podcast. So wherever you get podcasts, just search for e-commerce fuel. Uh, one or two word, hopefully it'll pop up either way. I've been doing it for a number of years and uh, have a lot of fun guests on and talk about shop. OG, OG. Uh, and so yeah, would love to have you. Would uh, love to have you as a listener. Uh, ecommercefuel.com. Like you mentioned, we have a private community for seven-figure plus sellers, over a thousand members, uh, really active form and review directory of the tools and, and service providers and, and you know, ERP systems that our members use and like and also hate. Um, and you can learn more about that as well as check out the podcast and blog and the State of the Merchant over at ecommercefield.com. So. Yep, State of the Merchant. Can't recommend that highly enough. It's super fascinating. And then as a part of the e-commerce field community, it's so cool to watch as someone posts a, a comment, a question, a thread, something uh, about an Amazon topic, Google topic, whatever the case may be, Shopify topic, the amount of responses and the amount of people that, that, that kick in and give real answers and real feedback. It's pretty phenomenal. It's, it's an amazing community that you've built. And so, so hats off to you for that. Cool. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Good to, have right. you, good to have you as part of it. So, and thanks for the event back on the show. Congrats on, uh, on yeah, the longevity of the podcast here. Pretty Episode cool. 100, you know, Boom. got a long way to go, but 100. So Andrew Udarian, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for being a part of it, buddy. We'll yeah. Thanks soon. for having me. At OMG Commerce, we accelerate growth for some of the most loved brands in e-commerce, like Boom, Native, True Earth, Overtone, and dozens more. If your Google and YouTube ad performance isn't where it should be, if you're struggling with Performance Max, or if you're not scaling like you'd like on Amazon, then we have two ways to help. One, we have amazing resources that are free for the taking, like our top YouTube ads guide with lots of examples, our PMAX checklist, or our Amazon DSP roadmap, plus many more. Or hit us up for a free strategy session. So go on over to omgcommerce.com and click on Let's Talk to request that free strategy session, or click on Resources and Guides and pick the guide that's right for you. And now back to the show.